Thanks for downloading this episode of Cork Talk with me, Tim Atkin. A weekly conversation with some of the most famous people in the world of wine. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Nomacork by Vinventions. Driven by a commitment to innovation, the new plant-based Nomacork Green Line offers significant improvements in wine closure performance. Thanks to a rigorous oxygen ingress rate, you can decide which cork is best for your wine, whether it's for young and fresh wines or for those with ageing potential. Barbara Banke of Jackson Family Estates has been described as the most significant woman in the world of wine. Originally a Supreme Court lawyer, she switched her attention full-time to the wine business in 2011, when her husband Jess Jackson passed away. Our fascinating discussion covered land prices, climate change, horse breeding, what she terms creative anarchy, and the genesis of Kendall Jackson's Vintners Reserve Chardonnay. Hello, Barbara. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm really looking forward to chatting to you. Just tell where are you in California at the moment? No, I'm in Lexington, Kentucky for the uh, Keeneland Horse Sale, which is the biggest horse sale in the world for thoroughbred racehorses. And that's one of your big interests, as we shall find out later. But any vineyards in Kentucky? Uh, <laughs> lots. Uh, no vineyards, lots of horses, uh, very good bourbons, mm. but um, vineyards are, are few and far between and they're not very good. All right. So what sort of wines do they make there? Nothing you'd want to drink? I think there's some kind of hybrid wines, All right. oh, no. but um, I, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure. <laughs> Definitely doesn't sound like your kind of thing. No, not not yet. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> Don't buy that. Unless the right? climate changes a whole lot. <laughs> well, you never know, do yeah. you? No, not not for that. Yeah. Listen, um, so much stuff I want to talk to you about. Just a little bit about your background, really. Just where you were born and brought up, because I believe Banky, which is your surname, is a, is a Danish name. Uh, when did the Bankies arrive in the States? Uh, all of my uh, grandparents arrived at about... 1908, 1906. And my Danish grandfather actually was a, um, a first mate on a ship. And he was in Kaiser Wilhelm's uh, Navy. And he jumped ship in LA Harbor and swam to shore. Wow. And he stayed there ever since. Yeah. So <laughs> and um, the other grandparents, anything as dramatic as that or not? Oh, yes. Well, we had some Sicilian grandparents and, um, some of them weren't very nice. Um, they were in a different line of, uh, of business through prohibition. And um, a Welsh uh, grandmother who came over as a cook. So lots of different, uh, different um, ways they got here. Sort of classic immigrant story in a way. Yes, absolutely. They all came over. And were you brought up in California? I was uh, down near Los Angeles, um, San Pedro, Palos Verdes area, and I, I used to go to the beach every day of the summer and part of the winter too, and I stayed down there through college, uh, went to UCLA. Then I went north to go to law school in San Francisco. And was wine part of your life growing up? Not, not good wine. Uh, my parents were not really wine drinkers. I remember them drinking some really horrible things like uh, cold duck, um, which is a hideous sparkling uh, red wine. So they weren't really into wine. They were more martini and uh, scotch drinkers. And, and as you said, you trained and practiced as a lawyer, I think, for 13 years. 
And I think you met your late husband, Jess Jackson, in a law court, didn't you? 1978. Were you on opposite sides in the courtroom? No, no, we were actually on the same side. His <laughs> his law firm and my law firm were uh, jointly on a case. And we met that way. And we were friends for a number of years before we became involved. And then was his style of litigation similar to yours? I'd say he was a very good litigator. He was uh, professorial. He would he would teach the jury, and and um, he was uh, very likable in the court. So um, I don't know about me. I think I was more of a uh, uh, dry uh, appellate uh, type of lawyer, and um, it was fun, sort of, while it lasted. I read somewhere you said it was fun 10% of the time. I just wonder what happened to the other 90%. Oh, well, the 10% includes appearing in court or arguing in a court of appeals. And the 90% includes um, lots and lots of paperwork, what they call discovery, filling out questions, uh, taking depositions, horrible, horrible, boring stuff. Um, when I was practicing law, I never had nightmares. I had deposition dreams or interrogatory dreams where I'd ask the same question over and over and over. <laughs> I get so the same was, answer uh, or not? It was very frustrating. <laughs> yes, yes. So very frustrating. The wine business was a really welcome change. And, and, and what would you give the wine rate, uh, the wine business in terms of uh, an enjoyment rating? Does it get 100%? I'd say ninety-five uh, percent. Well, that's definitely. pretty good. Good yeah, job you made the change. More, then, much right? more fun. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'd recommend it for any any uh, any aspiring any lawyers. Yeah, they might <laughs> like they might not like the paycheck though, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that being a very good lawyer in the Supreme Court, and you specialised, I think, in land use, and you among other things. Was was preparation for what you do now? Because you're now chairman proprietor of Jackson Family Wines. Yes, it was. It was a great preparation. I, I spent many many years acquiring vineyards and uh, wine properties. I'm still doing it, and that has enabled me to know how to negotiate, assess risks, assess uh, you know potential, and so it's been a very good preparation for um, for doing what I do now. So you're a detail person by the sounds of it? I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. Um, I, uh, some details, yes, but uh, I, I wouldn't say I'm a really detail-oriented person. But fortunately, I have a lot of detail-oriented people that work for me mm. and who um, keep me organized and make sure that we do the right thing. And you've built this business over the years. I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying this without borrowing money or selling shares to anybody else. It's still 100% family owned. How how did the business get started, really? Uh, my husband was, he was a practicing attorney, but he was suffering from burnout. So he acquired a pear orchard in Lake County. And he discovered that pears were really a terrible crop to grow because Half the time they would rot or you'd need noxious chemicals. And so he ripped them out and planted grapevines and he had uh, no market. So he sold the grapes for a period of time. And then uh, in about 1980, the people that he was selling the grapes to, the, the winery said, 
we have too many grapes. We can't buy these anymore. So he made wine, sort of practice wine. Uh, he had one that he called gnat wine because it was so full of fruit flies that it was um, a good protein source. <laughs> and he gave the wine away for two years. And he, yeah, as he said, that, that sucked. So uh, in 1982, he hired a young winemaker and um, the winemaker made wine from eight different vineyards, Chardonnay vines, uh, from all over the state. And one of the fermentations stuck. So it was um, slightly sweet. And the young winemaker was hopeless. So he uh, called on a friend named Rick Foreman, who has a winery in Napa. Hmm. And he said, help, help, help. We've got a stuck fermentation. I don't know what to do with all these wines. And Rick Foreman came in and said, some of the wines are really good and some are not great and he said i don't have time for this so blend it all together and let's see what we've got and that's kendall jackson that was that the was first it. vintage 1982 so it that came out it. of a it was yeah. a mistake or partial mistake uh yeah it was a partial mistake and um blended together everything came together well and it sold out in i think six weeks and became the favorite wine of nancy reagan the first lady yeah. And was reported upon in the uh, San Francisco paper. It was um, really, really, really lucky. So that was it. That was the start. Well, all these people spend months, years doing taste tests and marketing tests to determine whether something's going to work. This just, just right wine, right place, <laughs> right time. Yeah. Uh, well, the vineyards were great. The vineyards, so the raw materials were great. Mm. But um, yes, lots of luck involved. Uh, from that point on, was vineyard acquisition part of the a big part of the business? We started to acquire vineyards in 1986. So, yeah, a few years later. And uh, the first vineyard we acquired was in Santa Barbara County. And that was uh, what we call the Camelot Vineyard. And it was followed uh, shortly thereafter by the Tempeskay Vineyard, which became Cambria. And all of that was on chalky soils, a, uh, a bench, bench lands about nine uh, miles from the Pacific Ocean. So very cool, great Chardonnay, great Pinot. And that was our first major acquisition. And that, um, from then on, we went to various different, various places up and down the state of California. And, and all the same time you were building the brand, were you investing in the brand or was the brand building itself? Oh, you have to invest in the brand. Most of our investments at the time were just building inventory because uh, Kendall Jackson was growing 30%, 40%, 50% a year. So that means you had to build a lot of inventory to uh, meet the needs. And uh, in some cases, we we didn't have proper time to age the wine, but it was, it was pretty wild for those, um, say, first 10 years. And at what point did Jess say, don't want to be a lawyer anymore? I'm making enough money out of wine not to need law anymore. Well, he, he wasn't making enough money, but he decided in 1987, <laughs> in August, that uh, he'd had enough and he uh, said, I'm, I'm done. And it took me another three years to say the same thing. So I uh, continued with the practice of law and um, finally retired from it in 1990. Yeah. 
lots of people talk about your your management style really uh, and i like the way you described it as creative anarchy how does that work mm-hmm. well we've hired all these wonderful winemakers and very talented people who are creative and in some cases you know a little bit weird but you have to give them room to be creative otherwise you're going to end up with um, sort of homogenized, not very interesting wines. So I prefer to give them the uh, flexibility to make, make great wines. And that's, that's really the task, make great wines. So we're, um, we do have an anarchy, but people, people understand that there is a business purpose to it. Um, you know, make great wines that will sell yeah, <laughs> is, important. is the right. other factor. Yeah. Yes, yes. And, and some of these people have been with you forever. I mean, Randy, Randy Ullum has been, how long, Randy Ullum has been with you, I don't know, I'm going to say forever, but a long time. He's he? been there for 30 years, 30 yeah. years, 30 yeah. years. We just celebrated and he um, still great and showing no signs of uh, slowing down or retiring. So... It's it's a good thing. So you do inspire this enormous loyalty in your employees. It seems to me. I you know I I don't know, but uh, I I hope I do. Yeah. Well, I think you do. I mean, everybody who works with you said that you're fun to work for and that you're very fair uh, and and creative at the same time. And I'm not flattering you, but uh, but I'm sure you hear that yourself too. <laughs> I hear all kinds of things. <laughs> uh, that's nice. That's yeah. nice. That's yeah. really nice. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I think Jess always talked about wanting to be the best damn wine company in the world, and he was doing a pretty good job, as we've heard, in terms of success. But you've changed the business a good deal, haven't you? I just wonder, when you took over in 2011, how did you set about stamping your footprint, your personality on the business? Because you were already involved in the business, obviously, weren't you? I think we were on a path, and uh, I was involved very heavily in the business from, from the beginning. And so it wasn't really that tough to take it on. Also, Jess, he, uh, since he knew he was ill, he tried to sort of skinny the business down so that it was almost foolproof when I took it on. Um, we had, uh, you know, we had had, I think, a recession in 2008, but things were coming back and, and it was pretty easy to, uh, to continue on on the path, and the path was to become more premium, to have more uh, individual estates, and to move up market. So I continued on that path, and um, uh, we've gone to different places. We've gone to Oregon, which is something Jess always said the weather was too terrible in Oregon, but since we've been there, we haven't had a bad vintage yet, um, other than the. 2020 where we lost uh, a lot of crop due to smoke smoke taint but um uh other than that it's been it's been wonderful up there so um i think we're uh, we're continuing on the path and uh we're getting better and, and better when did you start that. to branch out from chardonnay is that still the basis of the business i'd say about 55 percent of our business is chardonnay and it's decreasing. Um, we're doing more and more with um, Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, we have a very healthy Pinot Noir business, um, Cabernet. In Australia, we have some great Rhone varietals, including uh, Grenache and 
white blends. Um, so we, we have lots of different things. We're, we've started making more sparkling wine. Uh, we do a really good job in Oregon with that. And so um, we're branching out as uh, to uh, suit the needs of the market and just to uh, do whatever strikes our fancy. I mean, Jancis Robinson, I'm going to give you another compliment, no less, described you as the most significant woman in wine. Does that come with a responsibility? Do you kind of wake up in the morning, you know, a bit like your litigation dreams? Do you wake up and think, shit, I'm the most significant woman in the world of wine? Does that sound scary? I don't know. I don't think about it at all, at all. And I I love wine. So I love being in the wine business. Um, There are lots of great people that work for us and – that the only thing that keeps me up is uh, making sure that we continue in a fiscally responsible manner because uh, as my kids or people would say i've i've never met a great vineyard that i didn't want to own so i have to uh, i have to be somewhat cautious and and frugal and um make sure that uh, the ship stays afloat i mean you've mentioned oregon obviously but you've now got vineyards in what australia chile England, France, Italy, South Africa, obviously, Capensis. I tasted those wines again this week. Have I left any out? I can't remember. Probably anything else you've got in the pipeline? Um, Canada. 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 I forgot about Canada. Yes, we're in, um, yeah, we're in the Cowishan Valley, and um, that's been really good, really good. The wines up there are um, sort of light uh, but refined and – profound in their own way so and there's a huge market just in canada so they'll they'll probably never leave western canada the wines because we can't make enough for uh, other parts of the um, even the canadian market so it's one of your big innovations was to expand outside california yeah yes although um we bought our italian property in 1993 and so uh, it was it was known as barbara's folly for many, many it? years, and um, it, uh, yes, yes, it was it was a folly. Uh, we had a we had a winemaker who was doing anything except making wine. We had really crummy viticulture. So in two thousand two, I took Pierre Sayan over there, um, who's our uh, Verite and Chateau Le Seig, um winemaker, and my partner in Chateau Le Seig, and I said, "Help." We need to fix this, and he he really uh, spent some time reorganizing the whole viticulture. We brought in a new winemaker, and things started to improve. And then when my daughter Julia graduated from college, she said, "The wines are great. Your marketing sucks. The label is terrible." I said, "Great, you're smart. Fix it." And she didn't. So now we're. We're making a profit. It's a very small profit, but it is a profit, and um, it's no longer a folly. I mean, the other folly could have been Argentina. I know Argentina was tricky, wasn't it? Uh, oh, it was so tricky because we had, I think, 100% inflation. We had to pay people in cash, um, carry giant amounts of cash around. It wasn't safe. Uh, one of our winemakers was robbed. So we just said, we, we, we don't have enough time for this. We, we can't focus on this. And um, so we sold it. 
And I think the wines, the wines, the are, wines great, are amazing, but we just yeah. couldn't, couldn't manage it. Yeah. We couldn't make yeah. it work. So, um, I think uh, the area we had vineyards is, is really good near Tupangato. Is that the only place you regret investing? That was hard. Oh, we bought certain vineyards in California that we probably shouldn't have. Yeah. And um, some of them we've sold since. Um, but, um, yeah, I would say that's that's really the uh, the only real regret at this point in time. A bit of a folly as well in its way, maybe. Yeah, well, just we didn't we didn't have the management uh, skills to uh, to deal with that at the yeah. time, and I'm not sure we would now. It's just it's too hard. And I believe you're in charge of what fifty different wine brands, five thousand six hundred hectares of vineyards, thousand SKUs. Is that is that about right? I mean, did you how do you keep track of a portfolio like that? Um, I <laughs> well, we. We have really good people at the individual estates, and a lot of the um, the individual wines are just something that is a small small production. You know, it's a vineyard designate, it's a blend. Uh, Peter Fraser in um, in McLaren Vale at uh, Yangara, I don't tell tell him which wines to make. He comes up with uh, with new wines uh, over time, and and they're great. So we came up with a white blend that just got white wine, white wine of the year in Australia. And um, that's his doing. Um, I just, I appreciate the wines when I, when I see them. So um, you just have to have good people that are in charge at the individual places. Is it important to keep growing? Do you think? I don't think we need to grow in volume at all. Um, I think we need to, um, improve uh, maybe make sure our profits stay stay uh, high you know we're in a very inflationary uh, period right now in terms of costs so we have to make sure that uh, we have enough margin to um, do all the things we want to do but I don't think we need to grow in volume at all and what about acquiring new places well that's uh, that's always that's fun. Um, <laughs> I know we're we're looking in yeah, that's really fun. We're looking in England, and um, maybe we'll acquire uh, in fee, or maybe we'll lease some vineyard land. Um, we're looking in uh, Western Canada again because, um, as I said, we can't we can't even service the um, Vancouver market with the wines that we're growing there. So we need we need a little more supply. Um, we. Uh, we have a project in Washington State, which is uh, really good. The wines are going to be great. And they're um, probably not going to be released for another uh, year and a half or two years. So we're looking around there, too. But I, I'm always looking. So I was going to ask you how you decide where to invest. Yes. Do people find you or do you go and find, find them, as it were? Uh, both. Both. Yeah. So we know where we have needs, and um, sometimes people say, "But you really need to look at this," and uh, we do, and we like it. So that's um, that's part of it. I mean, I I had no idea I wanted to be in Oregon until I saw those vineyards, and then I I knew that um, that was a great place to be. So is it like you fall in love with a place, or not? A place or the wines. Um, we went to Oregon. We saw these beautiful vineyards that, that were for sale at the time. 
uh, David Adelsheim poured us some, oh, maybe 30 year old Pinot Noir that he had uh, made and it was still fresh and uh, wonderful. So, uh, we became very enthusiastic about Oregon and I still am. I just wonder, you know, are there any places you wouldn't invest, you know, maybe for ethical reasons? I mean, China, for example, I mean, do you ever look at things and think, Whoa. I mean, Argentina was more for economic reasons, right? Because of inflation and corruption and all those sorts of things. Are there any things you think I kind of don't want to go there? Yes. Well, China, China's hard. I mean, we, we had invitations as did many other people, but it's, it's very far away. And, um, you're always contending with sort of an undercurrent, I think, of uh, the government, and maybe your maybe your vineyard will be repossessed or or whatever. And you you always have a partner there, so I think um, that's probably not one we're going to do. Yeah. Probably not Russia. <laughs> right <laughs> now, the future. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. So. I, I we, we tend to stay in the cooler cooler climates yeah. as well, and um, we might look at New Zealand in the future. Um, that's one place we're not. That is definitely some place that we should be. Probably. And would you expand in South Africa? I know everybody wants you to. Um, we're looking at some reds. Uh, there are some good reds coming out of Stellenbosch, and um, that's. Uh, um, when I talk to Graham, Graham Verts, he, um, he'll bring things up occasionally. So I think I know he's making some wines from uh, different places. So, yeah, stay tuned. We can we can see uh, what we can do there. But I just wonder, do you prefer to buy distressed businesses or, or successful ones? I think um, either successful, at least successful in the um, – in the quality of the wine that they're making. I mean, we, we prefer to buy something like a giant steps in uh, Australia, which was successful. Um, just needed some, um, sort more cash, I guess, to, to grow. Uh, we bought it a new wine pro or winery property. So, um, we're going to be able to make the wines in a, in a better environment. Um, but the wines are fabulous. They were fabulous. Uh, the winemaker was great. Um, Phil, who um, Saxton, who started it, was great. He advised us, still advises us. So that was a successful business, and we're just trying to make it more successful. Um, Penarash, another very successful business. Um, same thing. The owners just wanted to retire. So um, the um, that's a good way to it's go. It's easier, that is it? Uh, distressed. Yeah. Maybe a bit. Yeah. Well, to some degree, if if the raw materials are there, I mean, you have to look at the vines. Uh, Chateau Le Sag, the vines were great. The um, the chateau and the winery were were hopeless. So we've uh, spent our time refurbishing those, and uh, now the wines are really good. I mean, so little of both. I mean, vineyard land in some places these days is ludicrous. I mean, isn't it Bordeaux? Burgundy, Napa, you know, Tuscany, I'd imagine as well. Oh, just crazy. Yeah. I mean, yes. it, 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 do you look at some of those things and think this is just overpriced? I'm, uh, it's not, it's not the, the you know, the, yeah, the, the, that I don't want to invest for that reason. Well, Burgundy is always, that's always stopped us there because you can't find anything 
that's more than a few hectares usually, and it's outrageously expensive. So um, maybe at some point, but not right now. Um, Bordeaux. Yeah, we'll, we'll look at, at more Bordeaux over, over And time. where are the bargain regions? I think Bordeaux is having a... Sorry, so you're going to say Bordeaux is having a what? Well, well, I think it's having somewhat of a, a renaissance, but you have to go to the right place, the right place in Bordeaux. Um, bargain regions, Germany, probably. Um, certainly... Uh, Parts of uh, parts of Canada, where we where we went into Oregon was a bargain, no longer a bargain. Um, who knows? Finger Lakes in New York State. Yeah, Finger Lakes, Spain. Um, Spain. Um, certain certain areas in Spain are intriguing, but um, we'll leave that for another year or two. We've got to assimilate what we have just. Uh, and which areas are? are, are, are interesting to you well we were looking in at northern spain um galicia some of the areas up uh, up there um spain is a wonder makes wonderful wines um some of the climate the heat is a challenge water's a challenge so uh it's something i don't know enough about really at this point to uh, to really opine on but uh, we've got people looking in different places. I wanted to talk to you a bit more about climate change because you're very active in this International Wineries for Climate Action. I think you were one of the founders, weren't you? I just wondered how, how worried are you about it as a business owner? I mean, as a human being, obviously we're all worried about it as human beings, but I just wonder what impact it's having on what you're doing in your future thing and current thinking. Well, we, we try and future-proof, make sure we have enough water, for example, in California. Um, we haven't really had heat challenges yet in uh, California, certainly not this year when it's everything's behind about a month and we're hoping to get a harvest in by um, the new year. Uh, but water, drought, um, all of these things are challenging. And that was one of the reasons why at the request of my daughter, Julia, we went up to Western Canada because it's a very cool region and um, is not impacted. Uh, the Okanagan has been impacted terribly by uh, wildfires and frost, but this particular region is not. So um, that was one of the reasons we went up there. Um, certainly Oregon, same thing. It um, is a cool region, and um, you can make some really nice uh, shards in uh, Pinot Noir if it warms up slightly. Who knows? Maybe we'll plant Cabernet Franc. Um, but uh, yeah, we're looking. We're looking, and we're we're aware of that as a as an issue. And how involved are you with things like sustainability and looking at regenerative agriculture, um, both now and for the future? We're we're doing a lot of regenerative uh, agriculture. Uh, my daughter Katie and her husband Sean um, have really. Uh, taken steps um, towards making more of our vineyards uh, regenerative. We're, we're trying out various things. For example, um, in uh, flatter areas, you can berm and store uh, rainwater because California, we, we tend to get all our water in about five months. 
So you can recharge your groundwater um, without building a reservoir, but just by storing it on the property. And it really doesn't hurt the vines. So we're doing doing a lot of that. We're working with uh, animals. Um, we have uh, goats in place. We have sheep. Um, Peter uh, in um, Australia uses chickens and geese and et cetera. So, um, yeah, we're, we're looking at all these things. Um, uh, biodynamic farming, we do that um, in Australia, and we're implementing some of those practices as well. So it's a work in progress, and it's uh, it's sort of fun, and um, we'll uh, do more of it as we go along. Tell us a little bit about, you know, family businesses are notoriously difficult to keep in family hands, particularly once you get to the kind of third generation. But what's the secret? I mean, how do you ensure that members of a family get on and work together? And big part of your job doing that? I'd say... Um, so far, our family's really cooperative, and, and um, we're, we're a blended family. Jess had two older daughters, and um, one of the daughters, Jenny, has two kids that are about the same age as um, um, my kids, a little younger, and they grew up together, and they grew up um, uh, on wine, the fourth grade project for uh, Chris Jackson and Haley Hartford was to make Zinfandel and sell it to the parents for outrageous sums of money to raise money for the school. So um, they learned how to uh, make wine at an early, early age. And I think they all uh, went to college. They thought they might do other things. and But the wine business is uh, pretty fun. So they came back and uh, are enjoying being in the in the family business. And another of your passions, and it's also a business, you're successful at that too, as you said, is breeding racehorses. You're there at the moment, Stone Street Farms in Kentucky. How did that interest develop? Was that a Jess thing as well? And, and how did the, that business <laughs> develop? <laughs> Yes, it sure was. Um, yeah, he was driving me crazy because we were working together. And I said, why don't you get a hobby? So that was in 2003. And um, he bought half of a racehorse or a potential racehorse. And then he bought more. And then he bought a farm in Kentucky. Then he bought two more farms in Kentucky and a couple in Florida and horses to fill them. And so. Um, the business uh, developed from there, and um, when he became ill, I took on on the business, and um, I think the business is has grown, maybe too big, and um, we're trying to uh, get it to the right size so it can continue doing what it does best, which is raising really top end uh, racehorses for the market and for our racing. That's not as big a business as wine, though, is it? Obviously not. No. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. That would be it's fun, too. Yeah. It's really fun. Listen, I yeah. hope I'm not being discreet. I think you recently celebrated a significant birthday. Did you have a huge party? I, I had, um, yeah, I've had two parties so far. I'm about to have another big, big party. Um it's, uh, yes, I am now um, 70, and 
Ugh, I hate to say that. Ugh. You but don't anyway, look it, if I may say so. You look pretty good shape. <laughs> you look amazing. Oh, yeah, well, thanks so much. Thanks so much. My kids keep me young. So, um, yeah, I'm, I think I'll, we'll party through the, the rest of the year. That's, that's my goal. That sounds like a good idea, I think. I mean, you've got these two unbelievably busy businesses going on. I just wonder, do you have time for anything else? I mean, how do you, how do you get away from wine and horse racing? Well, let's see. I take hikes, um, go see my buddies. Um, I don't think I'd get away from horse racing and wine very often. Usually some some aspect of a trip involves uh, one, or the, one or the other. Um, I like to travel. We have a... We have a place in Hawaii where the family goes and there we, you know, surf and boogie board and swim and it's really nice and that's very therapeutic. So there are lots of fun things. If I had more time, I'd do more of them, but um, I don't. And acquiring vineyards, that's kind of pleasure as well, do you think? Oh, yes, that's, that's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's a lot <laughs> Almost fun. a hobby or not? No, it's so. bigger than that, isn't it? No, no, it's not a hobby. It's not a hobby, but it's it's something that I enjoy, and actually, my kids enjoy it too. Because you know, we all and we all discuss it. Um, we bought a winery in Western. First, Julie and I bought a winery called Unsworth, which is a really nice uh, small winery near Victoria. And then the fa- the other family members, the younger Jen, said we want to begin involved in Canada. So um, they all participated in buying a winery called Blue Grouse, which is a beautiful, beautiful spot. And we're planting, I think, another 40 acres and um, maybe more if we can get it to supply it. So um, that's sort of a younger generation project. And uh, they all enjoyed participating in that one. And you ever miss the law? Even a bit of you? <laughs> no, no, I don't. I mean, I don't. No, no, no. It was, um, as I said, ten percent of it was really fun, mm. but uh, didn't make up for interrogatories and uh, discovery. Yeah. So, I'd say ninety-five percent of uh, wine is fun. So we, um, I made a good switch. Yeah, ninety-five percent always beats ten percent, doesn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you very much for sharing your time with us and just giving us this insight into the way that you run the business. It's been fascinating talking to you. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you. Have a good day. And you. Good evening. <laughs> Bye. Bye. What an impressive person Barbara is. You can see why her employees like her so much. Next week on Cork Talk, my guest is Philip Cox of Cramelli Recas in Romania. Join me then. Thanks for listening to Cork Talk. If you want to read more reports, articles and tasting notes by me, go to my website, timatkin.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Tim Atkin, and on Instagram, at Tim Atkin MW. See you next week.